It's time to think bigger. Elias Pedersen scores! And think bolder. Matthew Kachuk, what a goal! This is Rintoul and Sermon. Another chance, great save by Markstrom. There is shot be bad, great save by Timko. On the Sportsnet Radio Network. A good Wednesday morning. This is Rintoul and Sermon. Karen Sermon and Jamie Dodd in for a vacationing Scott Rintoul. Hope everyone is having a stellar morning so far. I know I am. I got up a little extra early, so I'm having a little extra coffee after watching Canada win another gold medal in Tokyo. Jamie, good morning. How are you today? I'm doing great. What a gold medal it was as well, Karen. A thrilling, thrilling performance from Andre de Grasse. I will admit... I did not. Uh, sleep oh. is precious to me, so I did not get up to watch it live. But the thing is, I knew the replay would be extremely easily easily accessible, <laughs> so I have watched the race several times now. Yeah, I think I've seen it. It has CBC on my TV since I did get up this morning, and I think I've seen it about five times. Yeah. At least, at least since then. Um, Jimmy, just before we get into the Andre Ducrasse race and the gold medal and all the things that happened at the Olympics, just want to set up uh, the show quickly because it's a little different today. Coming up at the bottom of the hour, though, it is our Wednesday regular host of Tim and Friends, Tim McAuliffe. He was up tweeting about the race this morning already. Uh, then in the second hour of our show, we head to San Jose to talk to Sheng Peng with the San Jose Hockey now to discuss the Evander Kane situation and the current situation with the Sharks. Calgary, you're going to leave us after two hours at noon Mountain Time. You're going to get primed for the CFL season, which starts tomorrow night. Calgary Stampeders, they play their home opener on Saturday. It's a CFL preview show at noon your time with the big show to follow Vancouver. You will stay with us for the full four hours. We're going to speak with BC Lions co-general manager Neil McAvoy and maybe some other irons in the fire. But Jamie, logistics done with that. Let's get to the, the story of this morning because it was another golden day for Canada in Tokyo and this time it's a man standing atop the podium. Yeah. Congratulations. On to DeGrasse with the only two medals from males in Tokyo. But still, what an incredible accomplishment. Yeah, it's about time we started pulling our weight uh, <laughs> over for the Canadian team over in Tokyo. And specifically, Andre DeGrasse. Although it looks like we might have a shot at another one or two here mm -hmm. as well. But no, it, it was a thrilling performance. And if you watched the heats leading up to it, the preliminary heats, the semifinal heats, he looks to be in incredible form, right? Yes. And the commentators were saying, if he can do anything close to this in the final, he's going to have a great shot in the medal. So it, it really seems like everything just came together for him this week, these last couple of days. And then he, he, he delivered, right? And mm. it's, man, we talk about it all the time in the Olympics, right? But the margin of error is so, so thin. And you could be having the race of, races of your life leading up to it. And if you just have that, that slight slip up, in the final, it's not going to count for anything. He did not do that. Obviously, personal best, Canadian record, mm -hmm. finished incredibly strong, pulling away from the pack. A a an incredible performance and so, so happy for Andre DeGrasse to get that gold. So you mentioned the heats and the semifinals from the day previous, and he didn't speak after the heats. He went right back to the hotel. He didn't speak in the mix zone, and he did talk, though, after the semifinals, which he did set another personal best prior to setting another personal best today. But he said, you know, I was so tired to start the heats because 
they they raced really early in the morning. He's like, I had to get up at like five, six in the morning, get to the track. It was just exhausting. And then he went home and napped for a couple of hours, came back, and he said he felt really incredible heading into the semifinals. He also raced both of those races in lane nine. And it's not exactly the most advantageous position, Jamie, no. we know from a racer's point of view, because everyone's chasing you from behind, right? You don't have any visuals. You're not trying to elapse, um, eclipse somebody on the turn. Like, it's really hard to run those because you have to really be focused in just your own race and what you're doing. Obviously, DeGrasse, he's fine at doing that, but still really unfortunate draws for those two races. He was in lane six for this race. He raced to gold in 16, or sorry, 19.62 seconds. As you mentioned, a personal best, a Canadian record. What I liked about it, though, is when he came around the bend, he had the American right in front of him on his shoulder, on his right shoulder. And as soon as he came around the bend, he had that just extra gas. And I think it helped him having the American right there yep. trying to chase him down. And once he got that slight lead, when Andre Grass gets a lead on you, you're not going to chase him. It's just not going to happen. His final 100 in the 200 meters is incredible. First time a Canadian has won this event since 1928. Also the first time a Canadian has stood atop the podium in a sprint event since... Donovan Bailey, 25 years ago, winning gold in the 100-meter dash in Atlanta. He also ties Phil Edwards as Canada's most decorated Olympian in athletics with five medals. A feat that, as you said, can be beaten if they get a medal, the Canadians, in the 4 by 100 meters relay. They'll do the heats today, tomorrow in Tokyo. I don't even know, but it's going to happen when he goes to bed and wakes up tomorrow morning, whatever day that is. Um, should be just noted, fellow Canadian Aaron Brown finished six. What really impressed me, though, Jamie, is he's the only racer in this event, or at least the ones that were in the finals, that also raced in the 100 meter. Every single racer in the finals for the 200, they withdrew from the 100 to be fresh yeah. for the 200 meter. Like, so he's the only one who did the double, and he podiumed in both of them. Like, he medaled This in guy's both. incredible. Yeah. Yeah, that's incredible versatility, really, when you think about it. And to have enough left in the tank mm -hmm. after going through the 100-meter process and winning the bronze medal there, to have enough left to still, again, turn in the incredible performance he did, not just in the final race, but in the preliminaries and the semifinals and the other heats leading up to it, that's that's really remarkable by Andre de Grasse. I mean, what a performance at this Olympics for him. And who knows? He might have another spot on the podium uh, still to come, as you say, with the four by hundred meter relay still to come. I think Canada has at least a shot at yeah. the podium there. And man, if he keeps adding to this, it's he is he, again. It's it's a similar situation to Penny Alexiak, right? Where yes. they were already a star. We already knew who they were. We already knew what they were capable of and how talented they were. And this is just it's taking both of them to another level, right? Putting them in that discussion with the very very best Canadian athletes today. So. Just to recap what DeGrasse now has. He's got gold in the 200 meters and bronze in the 100 in these games. He goes with his silver in the 200 meter in Rio. Remember that picture of him and <laughs> Usain Bolt um, yep. running to the finish line, Usain Bolt looking over at him. And then the bronze in the 100 meter and the 4 by 100 meter relay in Rio. You mentioned that 4 by 100 meter relay. Canada has the fourth best odds, but we all know stuff can go wrong in the relay. You get a bobbled handoff, a drop baton, someone steps on a line potentially. Like there's a lot of things that could go wrong. So all Canada basically has to do is run a clean race and they have the potential to be on the podium. DeGrasse will run in it as will Aaron Brown, who just won the 200 meters. Both of them were part of that uh, bronze winning uh, Olympic relay team in Rio. So really excited for them. I just, 
I was thinking about this because we talk about Penny Alexiak and obviously she's the most decorated Canadian athlete of all time with her seven Olympic medals. We always think of Donovan Bailey as one of the greatest Olympians, if not yeah. the greatest Olympians, just because he was the fastest man in the world for, for yep. what, a period of time, right? And that always comes with so much more accolades than the 200 meters or the 400 meters. But to do what Andre de Grasse is doing, doing i wonder does he need that medal to be in the conversation as the greatest male at least summer olympian of all time i can't go back and remember american or sorry um canadian winter olympics right now i'm sure there's a ton of winter right. olympians that have a ton of medals but the greatest summer olympian of all time well it's interesting because i mean you could make an argument that the two greatest canadian summer olympians ever are are him and penny alexiak mm -hmm. right and i mean what is that's an interesting question in and of itself what does he need to do what can he do to kind of surpass Penny Alexiak in that conversation? Because as you said, she's established herself as the most decorated, most medals all time of any Olympic Games for Canadians. So he's right in that conversation, though. And you're right. The, the nature of the 100-meter dash is that, you know, if he had won gold in that event, then you're probably oh, yeah. already talking about him in that category, right? But just still, winning gold in the 200-meter, if they're able to do something special – in the four by 100 and he just keeps increasing that medal count yeah he's gonna be in that conversation and i do just think getting a gold medal was huge mm -hmm. for andre de Grasse, yes. right so to be able to call himself an olympic champion because obviously you know we celebrate and we have a ton of respect for for any podium finish but yes there is something special about gold obviously so <laughs> to have that now on his resume is a big deal uh, i think we have a clip right now uh, greg do you want to play a clip of andre de Grasse after his gold medal win Oh, it feels amazing. Uh, won the gold, had a personal best. I couldn't have asked for more. I couldn't have asked for more. Uh, this was uh, the race of my life. Um, I'm just so happy. I'm so proud of myself. I finally got it done. I've been working hard for this moment, you know, for the past five years. I waited an extra year with the pandemic. I've just been training my butt off, and I'm just so happy that I finally did it. Everyone back home was supporting me. My family was supporting me, my sponsors. Just everybody was just, you know, telling me that I can get the job done. My coach, you know, he told me after last night, you got this. Just go out there and execute the race. And uh, I did that. I'm so proud of myself. He was so loose before the uh, race as well. You know, he's playing to the camera, which I think showed yeah. his confidence going in. He got to see his family on the big screen, his kids back home, which was really cool to see after he won the race. But he talked about the pandemic and, you know, there's two points of view. One, you could say, okay, you got another year to train. But we know how much training was shut down. It's a little different with sprinting. You can be outside and at least that he probably had the availability to do it. But also you did have to go through a winter of the pandemic as well, yep. Jamie. He's not on the yep. track in the winter. But just remember, like these athletes trained to peak for four years. Well, I guess every two years, the world championship and then after the world championship for the Olympics. So you could argue this was even harder to win because, yeah, okay, you had an extra year. But every all the challenges that went in with the pandemic and the fact that it's a weird extra year of training to try and peak at the right time. Well, it disrupts your rhythm, right? Yeah. And, and, you know, this is something we talked about when the NHL was returning and playing in the bubble, right? Is that guys are not used to getting into peak physical fitness in the middle of the summer, right? <laughs> which is what mm -hmm. they were asked to do all of a sudden. Like high level athletes, they have these kind of natural rhythms that they establish and that they get very, very used to. And, it, and it's hard to deviate from them. And you're right. The, these Olympians, these, especially these track athletes, are on this very strict, regimented, regular two-year cycle. And 
to not only throw that off and delay the Olympics by a year, but then to throw all these extra obstacles up to your training. Mm. It's incredible that he, I mean, he's setting a personal best despite all of that, right? right? He's still, he's still achieving things that he never was able to achieve before. And it's really is a testament to, you know, his work ethic, his dedication, all of those things, because how easy would it have been to just, you know, take your foot off the gas a little bit when Mm -hmm. there's all of these obstacles, all of these barriers working together to prevent you from being at your best. He found a way to overcome them. So after the race, Donovan Bailey, he said this on CBC, and I want to have a big conversation about it. Canadians aren't showing up to compete anymore. We're showing up to dominate, showing up to win. And I think that's the expectation of this country overall now. Like, we're going to these Olympic Games. Penny Alexiak won um, two me- uh, sorry, three medals. She's now the most decorated Canadian Olympian of all time. Of course, those, all those medals, seven, are coming in the last five years. Andre de Grasse, similar things. Five Olympic medals with the potential of six. Damian Warner right now. He's currently yeah. leading after five events, half of the events of the decathlon. He finished the first in the 100 meter. He tied his world best time in that event. He also finished first in the long jump. He would have won bronze in the individual long jump event. That's how good his jump was in that competition. So he's first overall. There's an Aussie in second. And then fellow Canadian Pierce Lepage is in third. <laughs> Before we get to the Canadian conversation, I don't know if you saw it. But, well, you didn't see the 200 meter, so it was right before that. They run the 400 meter as the final event on day one. Yes. Now, the 400 meter is, is considered a sprint event, right? It's yep. one lap of the track. It is the toughest sprint event to do because, again, it's a sprint, not a run like the 800 and the 1500. And you have to stay in your lanes for all of this. I'm thinking these poor guys have just gone through five events, five grueling events in the heat. And, oh, yeah, let's throw them out there for the toughest sprint event in, yeah, these, the, in, the, the, in the event. Yeah. The decathlon is crazy. The fact that they do it all over two days, right? And as you say, they're mixing in events like the 400 meter, the 100 meter in it. It's like, how do these guys possibly do it? And by the way, you know, I'm glad you mentioned Damian Warner. I, we're talking about, you know, who's who's going to be the most the most decorated, the most successful mm-hmm. Olympic Canadian athlete of all time. Well, he's not going to get into that conversation necessarily. But if we just want to talk about best Canadian, pure, just purely the best Canadian athlete right mm-hmm. now... I mean, Damian Warner, as you just said, he had a 100-meter time that would have been right on the fringes of getting him into the final of yep. the 100-meter race itself, and he would have won bronze in the long jump. Like, and those are just two of the 10 events that he's competing in. So, I mean, if Damian Warner wins gold in the decathlon, yes. yeah, I know it's only one medal, but the fact that it comes over 10 events, he has to be in that conversation for... Yeah, okay, we're not talking about total accolades, we're not talking about most decorated, but just the literal best, most talented athlete. I mean, you win the decathlon, and especially putting up results like this, Mm -hmm. I kind of think you have to be the default answer there. Well, and it comes off his bronze in Rio as well, so he's going to be on the podium twice in this event. It's incredible watching these those guys do what they do, and the women doing the heptathlon. Like the ability to have be good at all different um, yeah. sports, like 10 different sports, seven different sports, whatever it is, you have to, to be able to win gold. You have to be, you know, decent in a few of them and really good in really, the rest really of them. Really, really good. Yeah. And it's just incredible. What are they, what's the title that comes with that one, Jamie again? I, I think they, the kind of world's, world's greatest athlete, something okay, like that, perfect. right? Or Yeah. Well, then we can say that world's greatest athlete is also yeah. in Canada. Um, but back to this conversation, because when Donovan Bailey said this, that can- uh, Canadians are not just showing up anymore. 
for showing up to dominate and to showing up to win. And it made me think about the fact that, yeah, our mentality as a country now is not the, oh, we're the happy-go-lucky Canadians that say sorry to everybody and thank you to everything, you know, just happy to be there. Like, we are a country now that is showing and stepping up on an international level and saying, hey, look at us. We can compete in almost any event in the world. We're showing it on the track. We're showing it in the pool. There's other events. We're showing it in soccer, right? We just beat the Americans in women's soccer. And I think... As soon as that mentality switched, and I think it switched with the own the podium in the 2010 Winter Games. There's always athletes prior to that that had finished at best in their sports and atop the podium. And, you know, hockey, we're always good at hockey. But that own the podium, Canada and the Canadian Olympic Committee made the point of, okay, we're going to invest some significant amount of money, at least for the Winter Olympic Games, because we want to own the podium in our own country. And we did. We had the most... Was it gold medals of any country? Yes, right? And once that happened, I think it's like, okay, Flip has switched saying that we have the belief now that, you know, we can compete with the Americans. We can compete with the Aussies. We can compete with any other country, the Russians. And it's incredible to see that this is where we've come as a country in just 11 years, basically. It's a remarkable achievement. And just, you know, to your, your initial point about the mentality behind it, right, which is no longer, okay, just show up and put in a good performance. And look, we'll still cheer and celebrate athletes who, you know, don't finish on the podium, but post a personal best at the Olympics, right? That's Mm -hmm. still worthy of celebration. But the overall mentality, and I think the Canadian women's soccer team really captures it, right? With the the motto of change the color. Okay, we've shown we can win bronze. Now let's do better. That And that attitude, I think, to a certain extent, has kind of permeated the entire Canadian Olympic team because it is, you're right. It is no longer just about showing up and putting in a good effort. It's about winning. It's about getting on as many podiums as possible, bringing home Mm -hmm. as many medals as possible. And I think, you know, Canadian fans are kind of reflecting that attitude because if you look at these games, you know, there's been a hiccup here or two, right? I'm thinking specifically of beach volleyball, you know, Canadian women's basketball, you could point to, but by and large, this has been an extremely successful performance by Team Canada at these games, and yet the reaction is not one of disbelief, right? People are excited, people are fired up, but it's not, oh my goodness, I can't believe we're doing so well at these games. There's a certain level of expectation, and again, Mm -hmm. we're really, I don't want to say we're taking it for granted, because I don't think we are, but there's also a maturity almost that, yeah, we're doing extremely well, and that's not that surprising. That's how we should be doing. And I think that also leads to, like, how we feel about other sports as well. Like I, you mentioned the women's basketball team. That's a huge disappointment. I mean, we, that can't be understated. And maybe we'll get into that with Tim McAuliffe at the bottom of the hour. But the fact that they didn't even get into the quarterfinals, get a chance yeah. to play in the knockout stage, like that's a massive disappointment for the number four ranked team in the four, I think, ranked team in the country. The US, the, uh, sorry, the men's basketball team. That's a massive disappointment that they didn't get to the Olympics. Like they should have been there and they should have been there even with that roster that they had. Take out who wasn't there. That roster is good enough to beat the Czech Republic is good enough to beat any team in that tournament. And I think that's the thing too. Our standards that we have for our country right now are higher and they should be. And we we're not apologizing for it. No, absolutely not. And, and you're also seeing it. 
I think in individual athletes, we've talked about it a few times, right? The the swagger and the confidence that Penny Alexiak is more comfortable showing now, right? Even mm-hmm. calling her teacher out on Twitter yesterday for not believing her in her back in elementary school, right? As you said, it, Andre DeGrasse, loose, playful, having fun before the race, before his heats, right? There's a, there's a sense of belief. And I do think to a certain extent it, it traces back to not just the Own the Podium program itself, but the entire experience of the 2010 Winter Olympics and how incredibly successful it was for Canada, how much the country embraced it, how much the country got behind the athletes. You know, that's the kind of thing that it's a long-term play, right? You're not mm-hmm. doing it just for that those games. Yeah, that was the initial goal. Okay, we, we're having the world here. We want to put in a good performance, but that's the kind of thing that when you plant those seeds, they're going to pay off in a big way in the long run, and we're seeing that now. Well, and what's next is consistency, right? Like, the fact Andre yes. de Grasse in Paris, I'm very, very unlikely that's going to happen. Could happen. I mean, I could be wrong. Very unlikely. Penny Alexic will be there. Maggie McNeil, Kylie Moss likely still being there in the pool. But the thing is now it's secular. Someone pointed out in the inbox, 650, 650, 960, 960, if you want to get into this conversation. Australia has 67% of our population and is winning twice as many medals. They own the podium where Canada just rents it. That's from Ke- Ke- Kelly. And that's a fair comment. The thing with Australia, the thing with the United States, the money that goes into those programs is very high. They put a ton of eff- emphasis, especially on the Summer Olympics, especially in Australia. Yes. Like it, the mon- those athletes are they're treated very well. They have a, a ton of financial help from the Australian Olympic Committee down in that country. And so when it comes to the next cycle of athletes, you know, the money goes into the grassroots level. That's the next and- thing for Canada, right? And a big difference, and, and first of all, to the Dexter Kelly's point, I mean, Australia is an incredibly successful nation, so hats off to them for their yes, Olympic they performance. They deserve a lot of kudos, but yeah, they're not focusing on two games, right? They are all in on the summer games. That's where their athletes are going. In Canada, it's split. So many of our best athletes end up playing in the Winter Olympics, which are also extremely important to us, right? We're probably one of the countries that is most invested in the Winter Olympics of any around the globe. So our attention is split. That's always going to put us in a challenging position. And then the other thing I'll say is, you know, my sense of it is that Australia's big investment in athletics came ahead of the 2000 games in Sydney, right? Mm-hmm. They made right. a real point of, okay, we have to get better at this because we're hosting the games. They That led to a lot of these big investments. So, you know, as I was just saying, our, our moment for that was kind of the 2010 game. So it's a, it, they have almost a 10-year head start. So in 10 years, let's see where we are. Maybe we'll have caught up to Australia a little bit, but I do think it's important to remember, you know, they are dialed in, laser-focused on the summer games in a way we're never going to be. Yeah, when we say they have winter, like, you take that with a grain of salt. It's just a season. It's just a season for them. It's not actually something that's real. Uh, I know they do have skiing there and some snow, but still. Uh, Just did a quick update on what's happening with the Canada-Sweden gold medal game. So both countries yesterday, Jamie, it came down that they wanted to be moved because of the temperatures when the game was going to be played. It was going to be played at 11 a.m. Tokyo time, which was perfect for us. 7 o'clock on the Pacific Coast, 8 o'clock Mountain Time, 10 o'clock Eastern. Like, it's perfect viewing time. Maybe not for the Eastern time zone, but still, they can stay up late. Whatever. Yeah, Yeah, whatever. Um, Mid-30s, actual temperature-wise, but then when you include the ridiculous humidity that is in Tokyo is going to be mid 40 degrees. So dangerous for the athletes playing a 90 minute soccer match. I get like, this is one of the reasons why Qatar was moved to 
winter. Right, November. And yeah. they're still going to have some issues there. Like yeah. these temperatures for these athletes, you're seeing some of the people on the track after running 400 meters, even 100 meters, like they are just suffering. Can you imagine playing a 90-minute soccer match plus maybe extra time um, for a gold medal game? And one of the other reasons they're asking for it to be moved, and I think it's quite fairly too, is like when you look at the men's bronze and gold medal games, they're being played in the evening in Tokyo. So what they have asked is to move the game. And the problem was, is a soccer match was going to be played at the Olympic Stadium where they hold the track and field events. So there's track and field events at night at that stadium. So they're looking now to move it to the Yokohama Stadium, which is where the men's football is being played on Saturday. And that way they could maybe move it to the nighttime. It would suck for us viewing time, but it's not about us, Jamie. Uh, Unfortunately, we may think it is. It's about the athletes and the safety and the dangerousness of playing in that much heat. Well, so often, ironically, you know, with the IOC, it is about us, the viewers, right? They'll do whatever they can to make it better, a better TV product to bring in more dollars, even at the expense of what's convenient, what's preferable, what's safe for the athlete. So I do hope, you know, as much as it would inconvenience me personally, I do hope that in this case, the IOC listens to reason here and moves it to a better time, to a safer time. And I mean, frankly, you know, even if we're not going to be able to watch it live, at least when we watch it on replay, it should be a better product, a better game if they do do that. Yes. Think about this, Jamie. Which team is not in the gold medal game? The United, United States. States. Which country pays the most for their Olympic rights? The United States. Yep. So if it was the U.S. playing the gold medal game, I have a feeling they actually wouldn't move it because yep. it would have been prime time in North America and in the United States. But now that it's not the U.S. and the TV rights are for different countries uh, that don't have the pull shall we say that the u.s does when it comes to the olympic games in terms of television rights i think that we could see it moved it's fine for you because you have friday off so you can get up in the middle of the night and watch it, or you can watch it on replay yeah i have to do a show the next day and i'm gonna have to watch that match so what that means i hope it means four in the morning start actually which sounds weird but if it's the one in the morning start, that's going to be really awkward to try that's and get really up, tough. go back I to think, sleep, or just stay, yeah, stay asleep yeah, and awake through it. One in the morning, you have to like go to bed at like nine, mm-hmm. and, you know, get up at one, watch the match, and then go back to bed, something like that. That 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 would be the route I would go. <laughs> I'll have to make a plan. We'll let you know when we know the details, so you can make a sleeping plan as well as the lister. Coming up, we're going to head out east. We're going to talk to Tim McCallop, host of Tim and Friends. He was tweeting about Ando DeGrasse. We're going to talk a little bit about NBA free agencies. Jamie, the CFL, he's a big CFL fan, Canadian football fan. It's starting in just tomorrow, one day. The CFL season is finally getting underway. We'll get into all of that with Tim McAuliffe. You're listening to Rintoul and Sermon with Jamie Dunn on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Rintoul and Sermon. This is Rintoul and Sermon. Scott Rintoul on vacation for a couple of weeks. Jamie Dodd sitting in a hosting chair with myself. Jamie, <laughs> remember yesterday how we were talking about like sports that intrigue you and you caught yourself kind of watching at yes. the Olympics? So Greg, our producer extraordinaire back in, this, in the studio, had mentioned speed rock climbing. Did you see any of this yesterday? I did not catch any okay. of it yesterday, no. You and the listeners, if the listeners haven't, Greg, did you actually see some of this finally? I saw it on delay. I saw a little bit of it. Okay. Here. They're like spiders going up the wall. Like, it's incredible to see the speed and how quickly they go up this rock wall. I saw the men yesterday and the women today this morning. I was so impressed because they're literally up this wall within three seconds. Like, it's one of those events where you're like, how do they do it this fast? I don't understand. I'm going to have to check it out because just hearing it, the idea of it was 
extremely entertaining to me. So I, yeah, I got to see this. I'm watching, uh, what is that right now? It's the 10 kilometer race in the water, the uh, swimming, the 10 kilometer. Those people oh, are man. crazy. Those people yeah. are crazy. Not for me. No, <laughs> thank you. The thing I liked about the rock climbing is there's a yeah. button at the top that you have to smack. And some of them right. really give it a whack when they get up there. Wow. There's some enthusiasm <laughs> were, when they smack that button. They really well, did just steal it from American Ninja Warrior. <laughs> they did. Wild. Yes, exactly. It's like, it's successful. That show's successful. I mean, I catch myself watching American Ninja Warrior in the summer. Thankfully, this summer, there's a lot more stuff going on, so I don't have to watch it because it's kind of ridiculous. Um, but to see some of the things like that those people do and I should call them athletes do, I just don't understand the training for it. Like, how do you get into this and go, no. I want to go through these events and I'm going to, like, run across these really uh, slick, um, moving obstacles. Like, I don't even know what to call them because they're so obscure. Like, I just don't understand how to train for it. It's so, you can't just go lift weights. I think you're just, you know, I don't know, you're a good athlete and you want to be on TV. I guess that's the idea behind <laughs> American Ninja Warrior. I don't know. My friend did that, not American Ninja Warrior. She did that Wipeout show. Do you remember that one? Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Back in the day. Uh, she went on the Wipeout show. You don't really train for it. You go no, for an obstacle no. course. She got smacked by one of the, like the big massive red balls that were going across that you're supposed to run through. She got smacked by it and taken off into the water. She said it was fun, but also the most painful and unexpected thing that she's ever been through. Cause you're not, you know, you're expecting no. to go through it. And all of a sudden this big swinging massive wrecking ball comes through and hits you off the obstacle course. Well, she uh, Shout out to her for providing entertainment for millions, at least. She, she does. She puts it up on um, Facebook every once in a while, like on the anniversary. I think she lasted <laughs> like she lasted like two seconds on it. It was it's it's really funny, and she was a really good sport about it. But kudos to those people who want to do that because you would never catch me trying to do something like that. I think I'd just probably end up getting broken bones or something. No, I would be terrible at it, and I also have the good sense. I mean, look, everyone has a different, uh, you know, threshold for how, how, how much they're willing to put themselves out there in ridiculous situations on TV, but just knowing how bad I would do at those things, no, not for right? me. No, thank you. Well, there's the one you could really hurt your body, Yeah. and there's the two, the embarrassment of it. Yes. Like, I'm exactly. embarrassed for this beer mile that's going to have to come up at some point because we're going to put it out in social media. Like, that's something that I'm like, oh... I just don't want to throw up on air. Really? Anyways, you're not I, you're not super excited for that? No, no, I'm not. I'm not super excited at all, Jamie. Uh, let's move on, though. We're joined now by Tim McCallum, host of Tim and Friends. Good morning, Tim. How are you today? Fittingly, as you talk about that, I am putting on some Icy Hot because I tore my arm up <laughs> playing uh, soccer goalie last night, and I'm playing in a charity golf tournament where I don't think oh, I'll no. be able to swing. Oh, I shouldn't laugh then, because that's unfortunate. But was it, were you, like, diving for a save? So we'll see if Shaq's lying about this icy hot crap. But, yeah, I was, uh, I, um, I kind of had a, we started up last week here in Ontario um, again, and I hadn't played in two years, and as a goalie, you just get the bleep kicked out of you. Mm -hmm. uh, and so um, I had, like, a sore tricep, and, of course, the first shot that I take last night is low to the same arm and I make the save and I just feel it almost roll up in the back of my shoulder and think, all right, oh, no. well, this golf game is going to be a lot of fun. So I'm so sitting in the car. You really did a number. Day, yeah. And I'm just wiping icy hot off my arm. Well, hopefully 
<laughs> Hopefully the recovery. Hopefully your beer run will be better than that, Karen. That's right. Tim, wow. Tim, wow. Tim, don't worry. Shaq would never endorse an inferior product, so you're you're good to go. I'm sure. <laughs> yeah. No, he does. I don't think he does any endorsements at all. Actually, I don't know. No, I haven't seen any. No. He's no, like no, Samuel no. L. Jackson of commercials. Um, oh my God! Yeah. <laughs> Tim. You tweeted out this morning, you obviously watched the race live like we did out here on the Pacific Time Zone, Mountain Time Zone, although Jamie did not get up and watch it, but that's another story. Um, you said after Andre de Grasse won gold in the 200 meters, he set personal bests in both the 100-200. That kind of performance on our biggest days is what we all strive for. Special players make special plays on special days. I don't know if you've ever had any personal interaction with Andre de Grasse, um, but how do you explain this performance for him and for Canada? Can you hear my alarm go off right now? No, no. Oh, it was perfect. You're it good. was like uh, I had my, my Scott Rintoul alarm go off. Uh, perfect timing for this <laughs> interview. Uh, you know, for, for me, I have, we've had Andre DeGrasse on the show a bunch of times. We actually had him on. I had seen his times at USC, and I'm kind of like this uh, closeted huge sprint fan. And I had seen his numbers at USC, and I said, let's get this guy on the show because I think he's going to be really good down the road. And uh, we did it with Aaron Brown, too, as a matter of fact. And so we've been talking to Andre DeGrasse um, since he was in university at USC. And uh, when the Raptors made a couple runs in the playoffs and we were sitting out in Jurassic Park, um, he would come and join us and just talk basketball on the air. And so I've seen this build from him. And um, there is, listen, like, I don't know how to explain it, but I think we all know it. Like, we all know the person who can stand on the free throw line when you're in grade eight or grade, you know, nine and hit two free throws, even though they're a 60% free throw shooter. We all know the guy on the breakaway that you want to have that breakaway. We all know the girl who um, has the penalty shot late in the game where you feel really confident that she is going to find the net. And there's this, like, inner smoothness that Andre de Grasse has. I don't know where he got it from. I don't know how he got it. But, like, you know, you walk onto a set at Jurassic Park and there's, you know, 15,000 people yelling and screaming and you don't have time to sit down. There's no small talk before and DeGrasse would just come in, sit, and talk. Like, he has this, this inner smoothness about him. And we, Sid and I, uh, before he bailed to some breakfast television show, <laughs> I noticed this about him. And it's like, I, I don't know that any of us could. I wish we had, like, psychologists that could explain this and how to get it and whether or not uh, you can learn it. Uh, but I... I honestly feel like I saw that early in him and, um, and it's a very, very um, applicable skill to his craft and the personal bests uh, on the Olympic stage to me are what you're striving for every time. And think about Olympic athletes too, right? Like it's not like they have multiple opportunities at this. Like he has one chance every four or five years to do that. And he continually does that. And that to me is the most impressive part about all this. 
the craziest thing that I think about too is the fact that every time he's had a chance to win a medal, whether it's at the Olympics or whether it's in the World Championships, he's won a medal. Like that—that that is yeah. the 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 consistency that we all strive for. And Donovan Bailey said after the race, he said Canadians aren't showing up to compete anymore. We're showing up to dominate, showing up to win. And when you look at what's happening with Andre Degrasse and other athletes in these games, Penny Alexiak to mention, what's your take on that statement? Yeah, you know, it's even I, I even the teams that have faltered along the way, uh, men's volleyball, women's basketball, like there, there's no longer excuses. They're like, we, we didn't do what we needed to do. And that's such a change from where it was, you know, 10 to 15 years ago, 20 years ago. Like, I rem- I'll never forget how pissed off I was at the Canadian media who were upset at Donovan Bailey for talking junk to Michael Johnson when he pulled up at Skydome. And I thought to myself, like, this is what, this is a generation of, of athletes that I want to be a part of where it's no longer like, oh, we're just, you know, we're happy-go-lucky Canadians. And we can be that. Like, Aaron Brown's interview after the race today I thought was remarkably Canadian where he shows the picture of his wife and his kid. Mm-hmm. But we can also go out and win or try to win and, and have that competitive nature. And for me, like, uh, I completely agree with what Donovan Bailey's saying. And I believe that he has a big part in that manifesting itself. And it, and it crosses sports. Like it used to be, we only had that in hockey. Like when we showed up to a hockey tournament, we were going to win this damn thing. And now you look across and, you know, the Canadian women beating the American women in, in soccer. Like, I, I feel like there is a different attitude, and I don't know where it came from, but I think it's seeing people succeed at the highest levels that gives Canadians the confidence that they can do that. And we're seeing that across the board. Men's soccer, we're seeing it. Like, beyond the Olympics, Alfonso Davies, Jonathan David, I, I feel like there's this newfound confidence among Canadians and I am here for it. I bleep and love it. Well, and Tim, I think it even extends beyond the athletes to, you know, the media and the fans, because I, I look at this Olympics in Tokyo, it's been very successful for Canada, and I think we're celebrating it, and, and we're showing the proper appreciation and respect for the athletes, but nobody is reacting with disbelief either, right? There's not this sense right. of, oh my goodness, I can't believe we're doing so well. It's just, hey, I'm really excited we're doing so well, but I also kind of expected that we would. Yeah, yeah, and it's kind of funny. I was uh, I was thinking about Aaron Brown, who uh, finished sixth in that 200 meter that Andre Grass won, and I'm thinking like, this is the sixth fastest man in one of the like most run like the depth of field in the yeah. 200 meters might be the greatest depth of field in any sport. Like every country has people who run fast, and <laughs> they throw all those people that run fast. Um, into a pot and we come out with this like the 100 and 200 meter like any every every country in the world has people running races and they will send them on and try and he is the sixth fastest human being in the world and it felt like ah, I, I didn't do my best and no one like is oh it's great he made a final it's like oh I, I wish he had to run a personal best and you know, you'll talk to him and he'll say the same thing. And, and that's 
that's where I think we need to be as a sporting nation. And I saw that in Penny Alexiak, and I saw that in, in the relay team where they were like, okay, we got bronze, but wait till we get older. And it felt so good because in the pool it used to be uh, Australia, the United States, and then we'll, we'll settle for bronze. And I loved hearing Penny Alexiak say, wait till we get older, because it feels like this new generation of Canadian athletes is not afraid of anybody, and that's very cool to see. I also loved Penny Alexiak putting uh, an unnamed elementary school teacher on blast on Twitter yesterday. <laughs> wow, that was yeah. pretty great to see <laughs> as well. Uh, in conversation yeah. with Tim McAuliffe here on uh, Rintoul and Sermon Sportsnet 650, just before we, we get off the Olympics and move on to some other things, Tim, we've been having this conversation throughout the week. Do you have a go-to, you know, obscure, off-the-radar sport in the Olympics that, for whatever reason, you always find yourself gravitating towards every four years? Yeah, without a doubt. I mean... I think volleyball at a high level is probably the most underrated sport on planet earth. Like I, I can't believe what they're doing repeatedly, uh, women and men. Um, and in fact, I kind of like, you know, the, the men's game can be, I think the, the addition of the libero really helped it out. Um, and I know out West, um, you know, Calgary's had a great university program for years. In fact, the first play by play I ever did was a dino cup in Calgary um, where the University of Calgary beat UCLA, who was number one in the nation um, in the States. And I've always thought to myself, like, such an underrated sport, and we have such great players, men's and women's. Um, so I feel like that's, that's kind of like my go-to every four years or five years in this case. Um, but I love, like, I grew up racing BMX bikes, which is kind of weird and odd. So I love BMX being a part of it. Um, I saw skateboarding and the camaraderie there that we saw on the women's side of things. I don't know if you saw the story earlier mm-hmm. today about Japanese, uh, I was going to say woman, but it was a girl, it was a 15-year-old girl um, who fell and had, you know, two other competitors come out and put her on her shoulders. So, like, I, I, I know there's people out there that are like, all these, they're just creating sports that they can make money off. Uh, and the answer is, hell yeah, they are. But I, I love the addition of the new sports and bringing new people into um, the Olympic circle so long as they get some money out of it because we know the IOC is getting money out of it. I was watching, I'm watching it right now, the replay of the women's, what is it, street uh, skateboarding with the British girl, the girl, she's 13 years old. She's also got a YouTube show that she has. She's winning X game golds all over the place. And yeah. oh yeah, she was also winning dancing with the stars youth in Britain. Like this girl's incredible. <laughs> and she's 13 years old. I just, I don't understand yeah. it. It's, it's great. I don't know. I have um, a nine year old at home and I was thinking the exact, like there's a 12 year old in that skateboarding conversation. Like what the hell? How do you do <laughs> that? Like I am a failure as a father. <laughs> it's like the peak out age is apparently like I don't know 17 years old but uh, it's incredible to watch one I one t- want to talk about one of the disappointments though of the Olympic Games before we move on Tim Canada's women's basketball team and yeah. they didn't they needed a lot of help <laughs> to get out of the knockout st- to get to the knockout stage and they didn't get it and it shouldn't have been to that point right it should have been they no. should have just done their own job and got to the knockout stage. So again, another disappointment for the Canadian women in the Olympics. The men didn't even get there, but with the women, I was watching France play the Americans with France needed to do a certain, they needed to win that game actually. And I was looking, I'm like, they are scoring at ease at some point. And when I watched this Canadian team 
And I don't know if it's because yeah. they didn't have the consistency in training and playing together, but there's just that not that offensive punch. Where do you see this Canadian national program at? Yeah, it, it's really interesting because of the amount of women that we have playing professionally in different parts of the world. And one of the things that I really uh, – I'm going to go deep dive here and deep cut here, but – um, the men's team was put in a position where they could qualify because in part by the, the CEBL and, and domestic professional leagues. And part of the reason why these other countries have a leg up is that in France they have a league. So these women, if, if they don't play with each other, they play against each other. So they know each other's strengths. And I think you're seeing that on the men's side of things and the women's side of things where domestic professional leagues matter. And listen, after a while, you just talent, like American talent should win out period. And I'm not giving that excuse, but I think our Canadian team is, it's, it's really hard to find that chemistry and understand, especially in a pandemic and understand each other as players. Um, so we either have to develop the talent at a high level or have a commitment to the national team, both sides, um, financially and, and uh, professionally, that allows the women to play together more often. And unless you have that absolute talent that can overrun teams like the Americans do, then you're going to need that chemistry, that continuity, and that is really hard to build unless you have some sort of domestic professional league. And if you see me ever on a, on a high horse um, yelling and screaming, it's about our, our domestic professional leagues in every sport and why I think we need to support things like the CEBL or the CPL or uh, get you know a WNBA team in Canada and demand that it has a certain amount of Canadians on it so that we can build that kind of continuity that will help us in these spots. Tim, just before we let you go here, I want to ask you about the Blue Jays. They're on a little bit of a run after getting back home and playing uh, in Toronto. I thought it was really interesting what they did at the deadline when they gave up Austin Martin as part of the package to get Jose Barrios. You know, we're so used to seeing teams across sports, not just in baseball, but across sports, really hoard their top prospects, right? And they're so reluctant to part with them. And certainly that front office in Toronto has that rep reputation was it refreshing yes. to see not just the Jays, but any team really make such an aggressive move like that? Yeah, yeah. And I, I think for especially for this team, I think there was the idea. It's so funny to see um, how many people were upset by giving up that kind of talent, that kind of talent. And for me, um, that's what you have to do to take the next step. That's what you have to do to show this young talent that this team has that not only do you believe in them, but you're willing to invest in them beyond money. And what they did with that deal was give them a chance this year. And, you know, I think in the end, if they re-sign Berrios, uh, people will be less concerned about the two prospects that they gave up. But without a doubt, Jamie, I get that to me is, is what you need to do as a franchise every once in a while. And why Alex Anthopoulos was so loved in Toronto was because he saw a team that he had and saw an opportunity to make it better and just did it. And, you know, I think Mark Pyro and Ross Atkins did the exact same thing here. And, I mean, I don't 
I don't know that it's going to pay off. I don't know how good Austin Martin uh, is going to be. Um, but what I do know is if you walk around that clubhouse the day after a deal like that, there's a lot of jacked up dudes. And what they had was this momentum of coming home to Canada, playing in Toronto, having a little bit of a run, and then you add to this the equation, and they got a shot. Like, that's all you can ask is that they got a shot. And for me, uh, I would rather see that much more than hoarding prospects for the opportunity to do something like you just saw. That's why you have the prospects, to bring them along and to make trades. Tim, I don't know. I know you're a big CFL Canadian football fan. It starts tomorrow, four games this weekend. It's kind of crazy. It's snuck up on us because there's been no preseason games. I'm just super jacked to see it, although I have no idea what to expect. Yeah, I think I think you're. I think everyone's <laughs> in that boat. Like, how how the right? hell do you, like if you asked me for a prediction right now, I would be like, uh, 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 Hamilton. Yes, they got quarterbacks. Uh, yeah, Catron, <laughs> but they're all banged up. Like, it's just um, it's going to be hard for the CFL to gather momentum again. And I'm a huge CFL fan. I know you guys know that, but I don't know how they build this momentum. I think having, you know, a season before the NFL starts, you get your taste of, you know, some, some, some high-level football, but they've got to do a real job here on building that momentum because right now it feels like it's coming out of nowhere because, mm-hmm. frankly, it's coming out of nowhere. Well, hopefully around the country, I know in Toronto, you guys have been able to see some sporty events live. Hopefully, you know, Winnipeg tomorrow night is yes. supposed to be sold out. Saskatchewan on Friday is yes. supposed to be sold out. Calgary, McMahon, they wanted to sell at that stadium. So hopefully at least it gets butts in seats and people seeing sporty events for the first time in a very long time. Yeah, and I haven't gone yet, but I have friends and, and people that have gone and they just say it feels normal, like it feels oh, good. So yeah. if you can get out there, hey, listen, support local doesn't just mean restaurants and businesses. Uh, it also means sports and especially something like the CFL. And I, I really think that they should be pushing that. Support local, get out, go watch a game. Absolutely. Yeah. Well said. Well, Tim, enjoy the afternoon on the golf course. Hopefully you aren't in too much pain and Shaq's <laughs> right about the icy hot and it helps you out a little bit. It's no fun to have injuries at our age. I tell, let me tell you. <laughs> no. And uh, yeah, I, I have hit those Carlsberg years and those icy hot years. I'll give an update a little later on Twitter on if my arm fell off. Awesome. Sounds good, Tim. Have a great <laughs> afternoon. Thanks again for your hit. Be good guys. Thanks, Tim. That is Tim McAuliffe from Tim and friends. Uh, he's right, Jamie, with the CFL. And we're going to talk a little bit about this later on in the show. We're going to have um, Neil McAvoy on in the third hour of the show. Like, I honestly, I'm excited, but I'm also like, I'm a little worried with what the product's going to look like on the field. It's um, it's so hard to say, really. It's just it could be fantastic with, with no preseason games. I mean, who knows? Maybe offenses will go off, right? Because mm-hmm. defenses are are disorganized and haven't been together. I mean, usually it goes the other way, right? That it right. takes offenses a little bit longer to click. But we really have no idea what it's going to look like. And I mean, I, I think just even if you're not a massive CFL fan, there's that kind of novelty and curiosity factor, which is, should drive you a little bit to these games, right? Because yeah, this could be a little bit weird. It could be, yes, absolutely. But get your butts in seats, people. One hour in the books, a couple more to go. When we turn the clock over, we're going to talk a little bit more baseball on the show. Also head down to San Jose to talk to Sheng Peng about what's going on with Evander Kane, that situation with the San Jose Sharks. You're listening to Rintoul and Sermon with Jamie Dodd on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Now back to Rintoul and Sermon.
This is Rinchel and Sermon, Karen Sermon, with you as is Jamie Dodd in for a vacationing Scott Rintoul. Jamie, gold morning for Canada. We've been talking about it all morning, but it has to be said once again. Andre de Grasse atop the podium. We're going to hear our national anthem once again. He won the men's 200 meter in a personal best time. He also, that's a Canadian record because anytime he sets a personal best, well, he sets right. a Canadian record. Uh, two Americans right behind him. He was behind the turn, but it's that final 100 meters that gave him that final push. Just incredible sight to see. Um, we talk about one of the Manny Bujols, who I believe she's um, she's the mother, right? Yeah, she's a, she's a boxing and she's a mother. And remember, she was um, talking about the fact she had to fight her way into the Olympics, literally, um, against the IOC because of qualifying and what happened when she became a mom and the postpartum stuff that came along with that. And she said, we talk about all the moms in these Olympics, but how cool was it to see Andre de Grasse with his kids after? And I say, I say kids, like virtually seeing them and right. talking to him and saying, look, I won. <laughs> yeah, but celebrating with them still virtually. Yes. Yeah, very, very, very cool. It was very cool to see. Um, just to wrapping up a couple other things that we didn't touch on in the first hour... We did talk about the fact that Damian Warner, he's topped the leaderboard after the first five stages of the decathlon. They have, what do they have to do still? They have to do the 100-meter hurdles, the discus throw, the pole vault, javelin throw, and then they finish it with a grueling 1,500-meter run. Just a normal day's work. <laughs> Just a little javelin, a little pole vault, some hurdles, some distance running. Yeah, normal, days, normal day at the office. I was going to say it's a good job if you can get it, but I'm like, only a certain uh, amount of people in this world can do it. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know how I would handle that one. Of all those events, I think I would fail at every single one of them. My upper body strength yes. is nothing to behold. Um, my What did I say? When I was training for the beer mile, I did three kilometers before I had to walk, which I thought was pretty impressive because I haven't run since April. Um Hurdles, well, I'm not a jumper. I'm not a jumper. So I think no. I'd, I'd pretty much, there's nothing in that uh, in that event that I could do at any sort of success. Pierce Lepage, he is in third. Of course, he's a fellow Canadian. The women's golf, uh, they didn't do very well in the opening round. Jamie, they were both three over par. Brooke Henderson bogeying the 18th hole. Elena Sharp was in, out earlier in the day. She finished three over. But they do have a chance. They're back on the course today. And we saw with the men, it was um, Sepp Strata from Denmark, Norway, I believe, that what, he went out and shot a nine under for his opening round and then didn't yeah. end up winning gold. So for the Canadians, there still is absolutely a chance for them to come back in this. Yeah. Let's not count out Brooke Henderson just yet. Although again, you know, I kind of said this on the show yesterday about golf. You know, if I had to rank the priority for Olympic sports that I want to see Canada do well in golf would be pretty far down the list, but I won't say no. If You're Brooke Henderson like... wants to, to stage a miracle comeback and get on the podium, I'd be down for that. She wins gold, silver, or bronze, Jamie. I think you're gonna go. Yeah, I think I'll take it. Oh, I of course. Think no, take I'll it. take it. Don't get me wrong. I will. <laughs> I will happily take it, and I'll cheer. I'll cheer just as loud as anyone. I'm just saying, if I had to rank them, yeah, I wouldn't necessarily be up there. Uh, staying on the track, Canadian record holder Gabriella Debuse Stafford. She clocked a season best of three minutes fifty-eight sec fifty-eight point two eight seconds in the fifteen hundred meter semifinal heats in Tokyo. So she's advancing to the final. Also, we talked about canoe yesterday. Remember, you were talking about like where are all of our athletes in this, and you know, yep. like come on, we should be a little bit. We've got a great training program out there in Victoria. Where are you guys? Well, Laurent Vincent Lapointe. There we I go. think I said that with appropriate French accent. She is in this uh, canoe 200-meter sprint. She's a 13-time world champion. 
in this event. And she finished, I think, tops in her heat. She's moving on to the semifinal. The funny story, not the funny story, this is actually a horrible story when it comes to her. She got banned for a while for doping because she had an illegal substance in her system. Turns out it was her boyfriend who was doing it. And he lied to her. I know, right? And he lied to her and wouldn't tell her the truth. Like, she's saying, like, I don't know. This is not me. I haven't put any foreign substances in my system. You know, some people have said, well, I ate some tainted beef and that's where I got the substance, whatever the case is. But she's like, this is not me. And she finds out after finally he lied and lied and lied. And then finally he told her the truth. Ex-boyfriend now, obviously. And it's like, but could you imagine? This is your significant other. You're doing this. And she tests positive. You obviously don't for whatever. Or I don't know if he was an athlete, an Olympic athlete right. that would be if testing. But going through the testing. Like, more, yeah. like morally, though. Of all the, you know, valid and very good reasons to break up with someone, that's got to be up there <laughs> near the top of the list. I mean, you're literally killing the dream that someone spends all of their time right? working and training for and... You don't have the guts just to fess up and admit that you did it. That oh. is brutal. I mean, talk about, you know, people get together and they share horror stories of their past significant others. Yeah. She's got the, the trump card right there. Like, that is bad. That's about as yeah. bad as it gets. Yeah, I don't know, Jamie, if you could think of past relationships, but I can think of them. None of them holy candles no, to what she no, has gone to. absolutely you know, not. Holding me and banning me from Olympic competition, uh, international competition for taking steroids, man, oh, man. So I was thinking about this last night. You and I both like watching volleyball, right? I like it in the Olympics and the athleticism that you see with these women and men, (laughs) the ability that they have with their arm swing and arm speed to hit the ball and the jumping ability. It's just, it's out of this world. I can't even comprehend what they're doing because it's just something that I've never been able to do in my life. So Tim McAuliffe, we had on last half hour was saying something about, you know, the men's game has become better because of libero player and stuff. And I was watching the U.S. women's versus the Dominican Republic last night. And everyone knows the libero. It can only play back row, usually a shorter player. <laughs> but you got a pretty crappy job. And I mean that in the best sort of way. But also, it's kind of crappy. All you do all day long is get really hard volleyballs, yeah. projectiles, hit at you at all points in time. And you have to try and dig them out, whatever speed they are. You're throwing your body around. You're hitting it off some, your shoulders sometimes, your head sometimes. You know, you're flying around on the ground. And it made me think, like, is that one of, like, the worst positions to play in sports? Well, I never played competitive volleyball at all. But okay. I remember even playing volleyball in gym class. And your wrists and your, your forearms after a class would be just incredibly raw and sore. Now, obviously, these guys would, you know, build up some calluses and they'd, they'd have a little bit of resistance to it. But you're right. Just constantly having to get down and dig out these un- unbelievably hard hit traveling super fast spikes that the other team is delivering. That would get old for me very, very quickly. I would right. not enjoy that. That's a lot of pain to endure. 960, 960, 650, 650. Let us know. What's you think the worst position in sports to play? Is it the libero? Has, have you played the libero? Is it something you enjoyed? Because not only do you have to, you know, just stay in the back row, you can't hit anything overhand. You can set the ball, but generally speaking, you have to just bump the ball and dive everywhere. But you don't get the satisfaction of getting to hit the crap out of the ball like the front row players do, or even any of the, you know, the back row hitters other than you. Like, you see the excitement in these players once they hit a massive attack shot, Jamie. It's like... 
I've never seen so much excitement for just one shot. You know, it could be one nothing shot, and they get super jacked up because they're just yeah. hitting the crap out of the ball, and then poor you just has to sit back there trying to absorb this punishment for three, four, or five sets. I just think it's a very unfortunate position if you happen you to do play get, it. You do get a cool name, though, the libero. That's, that's pretty true. sweet. So that's that's a nice little perk. You know what one, and it's not an Olympic sport, but just thinking about, oh, man, the worst, the worst positions in sports – and this is funny because it, it has traditionally been a glamour position and it still kind of is, but running back in football has to be up there, mm. right? Because you look at the trends, especially in the NFL. Yeah. If you're really, really good, you can be a star, you know, you can be Christian McCaffrey, you can be Saquon Barkley, but your shelf life is almost nothing. And you can be, you can go from being one of the best running backs, biggest stars in the NFL, like Todd Gurley in LA. Yeah. And then basically it evaporates overnight and you're replaced by a third round pick. It's extremely hard to cash in on big contracts. You take brutal physical punishment on almost yeah. every play because either you're getting the ball and getting tackled or you're in pass protection and a D line man is coming at you as fast as he can. Like that is a thankless, thankless job. Yeah, you get to score touchdowns. You get that. That's nice. But you just look at the overall effects on your body, the lack of money that's afforded to you, the, the yeah. shelf life, the job security. It's a tough, tough go to be an NFL running back now. And it's right, because you could be highly touted coming out of college. You mentioned Todd Gurley, I think Zeke Elliott, any of those guys, Saquon Barkley. And you just put your body through so much. And some teams will just run the crap out of you because that's their offense. Yeah. I think back, remember DeMarco Murray when he played for the Dallas Cowboys before they got Zeke Elliott? I think for yep. two seasons, he had something like over 200 some. Yes. He went for 2,000 yards once for sure. Right. And he had the most touches of any running back in the NFL. And they ran, ran the crap out of him. Just basically yeah. beat him down. He gets those 2,000 yards. And guess what? He's They cut him. He's expendable. Yep. Right? They're and done. They, yep. They're done because it's like the team doesn't think your body can hold up to that. And they have to move on to a younger, better version or at least – more rested version of you, and they bring in Zeke Elliott. Now, Zeke cashed in, and there are some running backs that do cash in, but even you look at, say, Elliott's production over the last couple of years, it's gone downhill since he signed yep. that contract. And it's rare to be able to cash in as a running back, right? There's only a handful of guys at any point in the league who who have those big money deals. Otherwise, it's exactly what you're saying with DeMarco Murray, right? Get him in the fold squeeze out whatever you can from them then draft the replacement and move on it's tough it's tough uh getting some good texts here yes 650 650 960 960 one someone in calgary says worst position is the shot blocking penalty killer in hockey yeah that's tough yeah chris mm -hmm. tanev could tell you a little bit about that that can be a pretty <laughs> thankless job night to night for sure um, this one comes in. I played libero for four years in university. Can confirm it does suck. That's from Jeremy. 65650. Okay, good to know because like you you said, Jamie, you and I didn't uh, we haven't played, you know, professional or even semi-professional or university no. ball. So we can't really attest to it. It just looked to me really uncomfortable to always have a freaking ball being put at you. Um, I would never want to be a lacrosse goalie. Those pads are not thick enough. I think that has the same pads. For, they have the same pads as road hockey. I haven't played lacrosse. or. Um, and I think I think that lacrosse? texture just texted into correct. Oh. He means a field hockey goalie. Okay. Um, field but we did have goalie. someone else say lacrosse goalie, I think. But yeah, field hockey goalie. The, those pads not thick enough. I, I think, think I had those same pads for road hockey. <laughs> okay, Greg, jump in. Like, I get goalie for any <laughs> any sport. <laughs> I played both. I played lacrosse and hockey goalie, so I, okay. I can I can speak to both of those roles. Which ones? I guess is like lacrosse. Does it, it more bruises more because the padding's just not as 
not as thick or good. <laughs> well, I played box lacrosse. You get a little more padding than the field lacrosse okay. goalies do, but I always tell people it's it's the it's the ball that they use in lacrosse that's the difference. So you're never going to be afraid of a puck once you get hit by a lacrosse ball because they are so much harder and they come at yeah. such different angles. You can get one off the top of the head, straight down. It's it's just such a different feel when you get hit with a lacrosse ball compared to a puck. So that's what what playing lacrosse goalie did for me was make me not afraid of the puck anymore. So that should give you an idea of what it's like. <laughs> How hard they are. Yeah. Sounds but I think, good. Greg, I think even you would admit that all goalies across sports are, are a different breed. Oh, right? absolutely. Like there's something there's something <laughs> slightly off about all of you. I only got stuck in net in lacrosse. I was actually a, a pretty decent uh, player in lacrosse, but I got thrown in net just because I was the only one willing to throw the gear on and actually get smacked by those lacrosse balls so yeah you got to be a little bit special to be a, a lacrosse goalie or a hockey goalie worst position <laughs> mike from Tawasson. um top guy on the double skeleton <laughs> you don't really have a lot of control of what you're doing right i mean generally i wouldn't do want to do skeleton in general going head first down a track at the speeds that they go down i think probably one of these sports where i'd be like no i'm good i'm good don't really want to do that one. Um, <laughs> the libero gets the satisfaction of making the first pass. With a quality first pass, the setter can't give a perfect set for the smash. That's Keaton, the former middle. That's Van Tech senior boys, lower mainland champs back in 2011. Keaton, congratulations that you're still putting that one out there. It's <laughs> a, a major accomplishment. I understand that, Jamie, with the libero. Like, if you get the ball up perfectly, then the setter right. has the ability to make the pass for the set. Again, my whole thing comes back to it. You've got a ball coming at, I don't even know the speeds it gets up to. Let's just say a 100, lot, kilometer, a 100 lot. kilometers an hour coming at any part of you. And your job is to get your any part of your body in front of it to get it up. And you don't get the satisfaction of hitting the ball. Yeah, you don't get the spike. You don't get to finish it. But, I mean, at least it's a key position, right? So you feel kind of important doing it, I guess. Um, we've had a couple of people text this one in. A baseball, a catcher in baseball. This is from oh. Rager. He says the amount of pressure on their knees from crouching down for hours every game, 162 times a year, must be brutal. My knees hurt from crouching down to look in the oven to see how my <laughs> right. frozen pizza is baking. <laughs> uh, Mario Richmond also chimed in with that one and said, "Yeah, you're also taking 100 mile per hour fastballs off of your head, potentially getting bowled over at home plate." I I played catcher for a few years, grown up in in kind of high school playing baseball, and mm-hmm. you know we're playing. 30 games a season, something like that. But yeah, your knees, and, and that was when I was young and fit and could do anything, right? But your mm-hmm. knees are just just dead by the end of the game. I guess they do have those those pads behind their knees now right. to help them out a little bit. I don't know how well those work, but I mean, yeah, there's a reason, again, the shelf life of a catcher in Major League Baseball, often not that long. Greg, are you a catcher as well? No, I'm not. I'm not that. Uh, I'm not that out there to be a catcher and take that kind of beating. But there was one text in the inbox I saw about the lacrosse box goalie being very different than the field lacrosse goalie, and that's true. But you're still much less padded in box lacrosse as a goalie than in hockey uh, from playing the two sports. Uh, the leg pads, especially, are are not really close to what you get. But I agree, the field lacrosse goalies are on another level. You're just basically standing there with a stick, hoping that you can catch it. <laughs> Otherwise, get out of the way. So that's what sounds it comes great. Down to. Sounds oh yeah, fun. it sounds so super fun. Someone said field hockey, uh, and I've never played. I, I played field hockey in school. Like we all had to play it in high school growing up, right? Like you had to go out there, and that was one of the days, and you played in the field. I, I don't even know about just being a field hockey goaltender, but just in general playing that sport. 
those bats, and I call them bats because they're sticks that are made out of incredibly thick, dense wood, like, those things are a weapon. I don't think I would be able to play the sport in general. Like, just because, you, like, you're getting your shins hit with the that bat, it just seems really uncomfortable to me. There's a lot of sports out there that actually I wouldn't play. Now <laughs> that I think about it. Um, I got to get this one in because we got the text in from Jonathan in Vancouver and he says the worst position in sports is silly mid off in cricket, essentially 10 feet from the batter. I, I thought there might've been a typo or a, a voice to text problem there, but no, there right. really is a position in cricket okay. called the silly mid off. And yes, it is about 10 feet from the batter. And again, you know, they don't have gloves like we, like we do in baseball in cricket. So without knowing anything about cricket, I agree with Jonathan Vancouver. That does not sound fun. Jesse and the Jeep text in, punter in football. Now, I kind of get this to a point. It's not as bad as the running back, Jamie, just because we talked about the longevity and all the stuff that goes with the pounding that you take. But, okay, you've got a lot of pressure on you, one, because you've got to get a good punt off. Yeah. If you, have to, you have to handle the ball correctly, because if you don't, then you're basically screwed. Um, you've got to deal with a lot of the elements that maybe only the quarterback has to deal with, and you're kind of out there as a lone wolf if things go bad. Well, the punter is one of those positions where there's not a lot of upside, but there's a lot of downside, right? Like, yeah, okay, you make a great punt, you pin someone inside the five, that's nice, but how much do people really remember that? If you screw up, I mean, if you fumble, right, if you shank a punt, if you kick it right to the returner who you were supposed to kick it away from, if you do any of yep. those things, fans are going to be absolutely all over you. You, you, can't, you can never be the hero. As a punter. No. That's impossible. Even as a field goal kicker, which is another not great position, you can be the hero, but you can absolutely be the villain. You can be the goat as a punter, right? Whether it's, you know, trying yeah. and failing to make a tackle on a return, whatever it is, there's a lot of ways it can go poorly and not a lot of upside. So, yeah, I'd put punter in that conversation. Well, think about this, too. If the guy gets by the gunners going down the field and you're the last line of attack you don't exactly have the equipment that the other guys have on too and you got to try and tackle nope. it that's why a lot of punters do a kind of haphazard <laughs> yeah at the other player like nope nope i think i'm just gonna let them go jeff also or jeff s texts in and says yeah and you can get smacked as a punter as well yes if you don't see a guy coming from the blind side shall we see you could get the crap kicked out of you no not something i want to do we're taking time here. Why don't we do this, Greg and Jamie? We'll move what they're saying to 1130. We have an open segment there. We've got some baseball talk that I wanted to get into with um, some clips from John Morosi. So I think that that's a pretty decent idea. We'll take a qu quick break right here. We're going to talk about the Evander Kane situation on the other side. Jamie, you and I haven't really addressed the situation yet. It's a very complicated matter for, I think, a complicated person. Yeah, well said, and I'm excited to get a perspective from San Jose specifically about the issue. We'll get into that and into some of the other things going on with the Sharks team as well. Absolutely. We're going to talk to Sheng Peng next from the San Jose Hockey. Now, he's a reporter for that uh, website. Uh, we're going to take a break. It's Rintel and Servant. Jamie Dodd in for Scott Rintel on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Now back to Rintel and Sermon. Yes, this is Rintoul and Sermon. Scott Rintoul on vacation for a couple weeks. Jamie Dodd filling in for his shoes. Jamie, Greg, listeners, you guys got plans on July 7th to 10th, 2022? Any plans yet? Uh, well, I do as of, I don't know, 15 minutes ago, because I'm pretty <laughs> sure I know I know what you're talking about here, Karen. Greg, do you, do you want to come on the road trip with me and Jamie? 
I don't know what I'm doing next week. So yeah, I, I'm, I'm certain <laughs> I'm open for, for that time. Uh, that's when the Blue Jays invade Seattle. Uh, the MLB has released its schedule for next season already. Just to uh, make mention, the Jays open the season on the road March 31st in Baltimore with a series in Baltimore. Their first home series is the next one. They travel back to Toronto uh, to play Tampa Bay. But yes, Toronto North. Toronto South, whatever it's called, Toronto Pacific Northwest, because uh, I know a lot of Calgarians and Albertans head down to watch yeah. this as well. I've met many of them down there. It's an easy flight, an easy road trip to get to Seattle. So, yes, July 7th to 10th, after not being able to go this year, they're actually in Seattle, what, next week, I think? Something like that, are? yeah. Yeah, something like that. Um, but next year, 2022, July 7th to 10th, we will be able to go to Seattle, hopefully. I mean, I say that hopefully. I have no idea what's going to happen in the world between then and now, but hopefully we can make a road yes, trip. Yes, because... fingers crossed. Fingers yes. crossed. Because I don't know about for you, Karen. I, I've been on that trip before, but yes. it's been way too long. Way too long. And I'm itching to go back. So I've got it circled on my calendar. I'm okay. going to be checking out hotels and all that. And hopefully I'll be able to make it happen. Maybe Sportsnet can like, you know pony up for that, it and that would be can, nice we can go like on the do, company do some style. remote shows yeah i, I would yeah, sign absolutely. up for that i know scotty would be too because he's a big blue jays yep. fan greg i know you'd be in as well we'll have to get someone else to fill in at the uh at the ops desk but yeah let's make it happen guys make it happen okay we're gonna switch gears a little bit because the story of evander kane came out I believe it was over the weekend it first happened, or on Friday last week. Uh, Evander Kane is in a bit of trouble with the NHL. They're actually investigating uh, comments on social media posted by his estranged wife, Anna Kane, that he bet on hockey and on his own games, Jamie. And so the NHL... Once they got wind of these social media posts, they swiftly put out a statement saying that they took these allegations seriously and would be investigating them. The Sharks kind of put out a statement basically basically echoing what the NHL said. Then Evander Kane himself put out a statement on social media unequivocally denying all accusations. And basically that's where we stand right now. It's kind of a holding pattern. We don't really have an update to the situation other than the fact that we know that Evander Kane is under investigation by the NHL just to these allegations. Um, it's not the first time Kane, even this year, has had situations associated with him. I guess last year now. Um, oh, this year. Back in January, he filed for bankruptcy. He's been sued by some casinos. Yep. Obviously, obviously, that leads to a bigger question about Evander Kane and maybe a gambling addiction that he might have. Some signs point towards that. But we have the incident goes back to when he was with the Winnipeg Jets. That's no, nowhere near in this conversation, what we're going to have right now. But we know what happened with the teammates and the tracksuit and the shower and all that kind of stuff. But I don't, I don't really know how to comment on this situation. That's why we're going to talk to Sheng Peng um, from down in San Jose who covers the team because I want to get a firsthand account of someone who's met Evander Kane, had dealings with Evander Kane and what he thinks of these allegations. Because from afar, I mean, they're obviously very serious if you bet on any of your sports. We saw what happened to Pete Rose. He's banned from baseball. We go back to, you go back as far as Shoeless Joe Jackson. Like, that's a really long time ago. But it is a very serious allegation if these are to be true that he did bet on his games, in any games in the NHL, not to mention his own game. Well, it's it's an extremely serious allegation, and there's a reason why the NHL and the Sharks are immediately taking it so seriously, right? Because it goes right to, you know, the idea of competitive integrity in the game. And, you know, mm -hmm. it is interesting, the whole idea that he could be betting on his own games and, you know, potentially 
throwing games to try to win money. It's just it doesn't make a ton of sense at first glance to me because it's one player on a on a twenty man team, right? right? He, there's only so much he can do as an individual in order to do that. And I mean, Evander Kane had a really good season last year. Yes. Right? He was extremely productive last year. So it's not as if he was dogging it night in, night out for the Sharks. So I, I'm, I'm a little skeptical about that side of the allegations. Now, even if he's betting on hockey, that opens up some other potential questions in mm-hmm. the NHL for obvious reasons, does not want that to go down. But yeah, it is just a very, it's a very tricky, very complicated situation. And it's something that's going to, you know, you're going to have to keep a close eye on it to see where it goes. Yeah, absolutely. And as you mentioned, he led the Sharks in scoring this past season. He was the third highest point total in his career and best ever points per game total in his career. And I guess there are some other ways that you could bet on your own games, like props and stuff like that and offensive totals sure. and stuff. I understand, but still, it's it's hard to wrap my head around this um, this whole topic right now. So we're going to have someone help us try and do that. Uh, Shang Peng with San Jose Hockey Now joins us from, I believe, down, down in San Jose right now. Shang, how are you? Thank you for doing this today. Uh, I'm great, guys. How are you guys doing? We are doing wonderful. I kind of laid out the situation before we got you on air, the timeline of what happened from um, his estranged wife posting on social media, the allegations, then the NHL responding, and then Evander Kane himself responding, denying all accusations. But how did this first strike you when you saw the social media post by his estranged wife? Um, Well, I think one of the striking things is, you know, with Evander, there is a uh, a history of uh, not treating women well, <laughs> and so this this seems to be another incident of that. Um, but you know that, of course, uh, uh, also uh, part and parcel with, of course, the the gambling stuff, which is uh, pretty um, um, hard to believe. That you know, growing up, uh, we all learned about Pete Rose, for example, right? Mm-hmm. And that's just a line. You don't bet on your own sport. And so to have it even suggested, alleged, uh, uh, to be alleged is just, uh, was, wasn't, you know, honestly, it was, it was shocking. It was shocking. Mm-hmm. So we saw quickly after these posts were made that the NHL came up pretty swiftly with their statement saying they take it seriously and they're going to launch an investigation. And the Sharks basically echoed that with their statement after saying they'd help it in any way they could and all this, all that stuff. But do you think there's, I don't know if you've heard anything, but how do you think this investigation could or should go down? Well, the NHL says that this investigation will go pretty quickly and, and they're, uh, in, in their opinion, and so it should be uh, resolved by training camp. I'm not sure what that means, if that means that there is not a lot of evidence for them to go further with it, or if it's something that you know they have a solid sense of, that they do have evidence for, and they have a solid sense of what's going on. Um, so I think uh, that's an interesting kind of uh, uh, a bit there. Um, the other kind of uh, bit that I found interesting so far in this is Evander Kane, of course, uh, made a very strong statement uh, against his uh, his his, his uh, ex-wife or soon-to-be ex-wife's uh, claims, uh, especially on the gambling part of, of things. Um, but I found it interesting that the the, the sharks uh, haven't really spoken on on his behalf at at all uh, since uh, 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 you know uh, they didn't support his, his statement. And I haven't seen any of his teammates come out and speak either. So I find that uh, all kind of interesting. Well, I wanted to ask you about that, Sheng, because you know alongside these reports and these allegations about the gambling, there's also been rumblings that maybe other people in the locker room there in San Jose would prefer to see Evander Kane move on. 
What's your perception of how the relationship has been between Kane and his teammates in San Jose during his tenure as a Shark? Yeah, that's a, yeah, and I don't mean to suggest that because the teammates didn't speak up that they uh, believe that he threw or fixed games. So I don't, I don't want to make, make that leap. Um, like I said, uh, the, the, the leap for a player, athlete, to cross into gambling on his own sport uh, in this day and age is still just incredible. It's, it's hard to fathom. Uh, but, yeah, uh, I think that uh, it's more the, the teammates maybe not speaking up for him right now is more to do with, yeah, maybe his popularity in the locker room. And um, I think it's interesting when the Sharks brought uh, Evander in, um, you know, at the trade deadline, and I believe it was uh, 2018, uh, the idea was, you know, he was coming in, here's this guy who's had, uh, you know, troubles, uh, you know, to put it, uh, I guess, lightly in Buffalo and Winnipeg and Atlanta. And, but he was, you know, I think people maybe were willing to, to write it off because he was so talented, obviously, but also, too, because he was a younger man. And he was coming into a San Jose locker room, if you remember, that year. You know, Joe Pavelski, Joe Thornton, um, you know, Brent Burns. So, you know, it's just a, it was a room full of veteran leaders. Um, and so that, that was the room that he walked into. And I think that the idea was, well, around guys like, a, like a Joe Thornton, uh, you know, uh, Vander's gonna gonna grow up, and he's gonna do a better job of sort of uh, towing that line. Uh, you know, prioritizing hockey. Uh, but of course, that room, uh, that you know, that veteran room doesn't really exist so much anymore, right? A lot of faces are gone, uh, chiefly Joe Pavelski. And so, I think at that time, maybe uh, his relationship has evolved with his teammates. And so, instead of being, uh, you know, uh, uh, the younger guy coming, he's become. Uh, the, Vander Kane has become the veteran, the leader. Um, but it sounds like, though, that he hasn't taken uh, very well to that role of being a great example uh, for his teammates. What are the Sharks' options here, Shang? I mean, if they decide, look, this is too much, he's not popular in the locker room, now there's these new allegations, we want to move on. I mean, you know, he's, yeah, he had a very productive season last year. He's also got four years remaining on his contract at $7 million per season. And he has a modifi- modified no-trade clause as well. So it-, it wouldn't exactly be a simple deal to move Evander Kane off of the roster. If they do decide they want to move on, what's the path forward for the Sharks here? Yeah, you know, the just based on the on the ice stuff, uh, he would be easy to trade. You know, he's uh, basically a 25-30 goal guy, one of the best power forwards in the league. His contract is reasonable, actually, of a guy of his production. And he's not, he's 30 years old, so he's not, uh, well, he's, I guess, entered the wrong side of 30, but he's not too deep into that. So in that sense, uh, he should be super, super tradable, very, very tradable. But obviously, uh, the locker room stuff uh, doesn't help. And then just the, the, the off-the-ice stuff, right? Um, and so that just, that just uh, makes him basically untradable. And then you, you throw in that, that no-trade clause, uh, the limited no-trade clause, where he has uh, three teams that, of his choice that, that he can be traded to. And, it's, yeah, it's really hard to see them being able to, to move him without uh, taking on salary. And even if you take on salary, I'm not sure uh, if – if, uh, if if there are teams that are willing to take that chance on him, you know, despite his uh, his his production, we're speaking with Shang Pen from the San Jose Hockey. Now, Shang, just quickly, if by chance the investigation does prove, and of course these allegations are just allegations at this point, but say does prove that Evander Kane did bet on hockey, like that's pretty much uh, he can be is expelled by the, within the CBA rights. 
Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, the the um, the NHL takes uh, you know, I guess it's a it's a sad commentary, but the NHL takes uh, uh, gambling way more gambling on its own way more seriously than you know some of the other allegations against uh against uh Evander Kane uh, uh, from the past. Or, you know, we can talk about other issues the league is facing, like the Chicago Blackhawks cover-up, right? The league takes uh, gambling in its own sport way more seriously, and it's unequivocal about that in the CBA. So um, if it's proven that uh, Evander Kane has bet on the NHL or San Jose Sharks games, um, it's hard to see him uh, playing uh, NHL hockey, uh, you know, ever again, or, you know, at least for a couple of years. Um, and so, yeah, I, I, that is a possibility. Again, that's why that's why that line to imagine that a player has crossed that line is uh, so you know uh, difficult to fathom. Uh, mm-hmm. But then again, though, uh, it does seem, uh, at least from the outside looking in, that you know Vander Kane does very much have a gambling problem. And so, yeah, so so I guess it, it's possible. Okay, um, how have your dealings been with Vander Kane over your course of covering the San Jose Sharks? Uh, by and large, uh, I, I would say they, they've been pretty good. You know, uh, Vander does have that ability. I think anybody in any of the, the market that he's been in and has dealt with him regularly, you know, um, that's uh, he, he has uh, he, he can be uh, uh, charming and he can be very funny and very sharp. And, you know, there is the there, 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 there is definitely that 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 side to him. And so, uh, you know, witty and, and all that stuff. And so, you know, so there's there's. You know he he he's a very uh, uh, in a lot of ways a, a very likable person when you when you first meet him he has he has that ability you know that to kind of uh, you know turn on that 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 thousand watt charm or whatever you know That's, he he has he has that ability um, but yeah but obviously uh, there's some stuff uh, lurking there too um, that you know obviously uh, can't uh, you know he he's not able to hide. Zheng. We're talking about a lot of the stuff, obviously, recently with Evander Kane, but there's also the side that we saw in relation to George Floyd's murder. And Evander Kane was one of the first NHL players in the hockey world to speak out, and he did the media rounds. I know he did a ton of press in the United States. He did a ton of radio, television shows up here in Canada as well. I was impressed by the fact of how much he did use his voice and took a stand for what he believed in. Um, It almost showed me a bit of maturity to the Vander Kane that we had seen previously, which, you know, you could say a little bit of immature um, characteristics to him. We all know, you know, the pictures on Instagram and the jersey with teammates and or the tracksuit with jerseys in the locker room with the teammates and stuff. But he's, is it fair to say he's very complicated? Yeah, yeah, I, I think I think that's that's fair to say. Maybe uh, kind of like how I think we're we're all we're all complicated in, in our ways, but yeah, definitely uh, with, with him. Like I, I think that was that stuff uh, last year was was real too. You know, he was the very first player I think to speak out on a George Floyd murder, and uh, I think that uh, more than anything, uh, uh, his significance in that was that you know when he was on the on first take, uh, and he named uh, Sidney Crosby. You know, he named other players. Like, how come you guys aren't speaking up? And as you guys know, for a hockey player to name another hockey player like that is just not, you know, the quote-unquote hockey player code. 
And so Evander, you know, I think in, 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 on first take, he mentioned Tom Brady. He mentioned some luminaries from other sports, and it would have been easy for him to stop here. But when he said Sidney Crosby's name, I think that that really got my attention as, as uh, something that, that he was doing that was, that was different. You know, at that point, he wasn't just speaking about George Floyd and George Floyd's murder. He was also talking about how come, you know, my fellow hockey players aren't, aren't speaking up about this at all. And so that was uh, really, I think, in some ways, a landmark moment and what really turned uh, kind of uh, last summer in terms of uh, Angel players. Sidney Crosby eventually made a statement and, you know, a bunch, a few uh, number of other players uh, kind of speaking out and talking about Black Lives Matters and participating in some cases in some of the marches and just, uh, you know, just opening their awareness uh, to that, trying to open their awareness to that at least. And Evander Kane was a huge uh, primary reason uh, for that. Um, and so that all is, yeah, is a very real part of, uh, you know, whatever his uh, legacy will be to to hockey and to the world in general. Uh, but unfortunately, uh, all this other stuff will be also. Shang, I, I want to ask just a couple of questions about the Sharks uh, as an NHL team in general as well. You know, they've had they had such an incredible run of sustained consistency and success over a period of decades there. Now it seems like the tough times have caught up with them a little bit. What are your expectations for the Sharks going into the next NHL season? Um, yeah, I think it's going to be a, a little tough for them because, uh, you know, uh, let's, you know, I mean, we can't ignore it, but, you know, uh, 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 talking past the, this uh, Vander Kane situation, but, you know, they have a number of players who have who have uh, been uh, disappointing for uh, for a couple years uh, running, expensive uh, uh, once great players, uh, you know, Eric Carlson, Mark Edward Vlasic, uh, Brent Burns, um, you know, guys who, you know, were world-class Olympic uh, Norris caliber guys who have turned in uh, less than, than, than those type of seasons the last couple of years. And so that's, uh, that's, that's a big problem. And, and uh, those three guys, three defense, defensemen I mentioned, are, are, have crossed the wrong side of 30. And they're still going to be a big part of the Sharks in terms of their salary, of course, taking a big chunk of the salary cap. But also they'll have big roles. And so, you know, can they kind of bounce back, turn it around? Um, I think is a, is a big, big, big question. Um, and then, you know, speaking, of course, then of, you know, going up front, uh, uh, you know, a, a guy like a Logan Couture uh, had a couple kind of disappointing seasons in a row. Uh, maybe injury had something to do with it, though. He had got off to a hot start uh, last uh, last season, but then kind of slowed down in the second half of the season. Uh, Timo Meyer, Kevin LeBanc, uh, younger players that they've expected to kind of make that leap, haven't made that leap. It's been two years. Um, and so basically, uh, they're, they're a team that's really waiting on, you know, on, on some of their young, young stars uh, to really take that step, uh, waiting for their superstars or the guys who are paid like superstars um, to play like superstars. And that hasn't happened for a couple of years running. Um, I do like the signings they've made in terms of, uh, you know, the free agency signings they've made. Uh, Nick Bonino, Andrew Cogliano, uh, James Reimer. There are small, quiet, short-term signings uh, that will help uh, help the, the current stars of the Sharks uh, uh, this, uh, this coming year. But, of course, they don't really, uh, really change the face of the Sharks unless, you know, uh, unless the guys I mentioned, unless those guys turn around, that's what will turn it around uh, for the Sharks, the big, the, the you know, the big guns to, to come uh, firing again. But again, the problem is that it's been two years in running, so um, it's hard to 
uh, it's hard to really have a lot of faith that that's going to happen. And just from a big picture point of view, you know, as you mentioned, you've got, there's all of that inefficient money on former or, or, you know, at least stars who are past their prime still on the books. And for several more seasons after this one, it's it's it puts this team in a, in a bit of a tough situation, right? Because it, it's hard to tear it down and move all that money off your books and rebuild. But it's also hard to compete when uh, hard to contend, at least when you have so much kind of inefficient money on your salary cap sheet. I mean, from your perspective, what should general manager Doug Wilson's strategy be right now? It seems like he's kind of in a rock between a rock and a hard place. I like that a phrase, inefficient money. I'm going to start using that. It's a nice euphemism. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> uh, anyway, though, yeah. Uh, no, absolutely. I think, I, 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 think, I think you hit it on the head. That's a very good question. I think a lot of uh, fans uh, would, uh, would actually love to see the Sharks go into a, a complete teardown. Uh, but you know, a complete teardown means getting rid of, uh, you know, or trying to get rid of contracts like, you know, like Carlson with uh, six years left, you know. Uh, that's hard to hard hard to trade something like that i think lots has got five left you know hard to hard to get rid of that you know um so i think uh in this rock and a hard play situation uh i think the the choice that doug wilson has made you know he calls it a reset uh but i think the choice that he's made is to is a is to kind of get these contracts to run out to kind of pa- almost pass the time a bit and basically uh you know give these guys some support you know, I I, I, you know, I I think it's it's clear to say that the Sharks need depth anyway. Even if Eric Carlson was you know popping in a point at point, point for a game like he used to in Ottawa, uh, you know the Sharks' depth needs help anyway, regardless uh, of that. And so guys that they signed, uh, you know, all to one two year contracts uh, in free agency, uh, all are you know fit that role. You know, they're veteran guys uh, who are strong two way players. Uh, especially defensively, and they're great locker room guys too, um, and so that addresses that kind of need too. And so basically, you run out the clock with the big contracts, and maybe, just maybe, uh, uh, these big contracts start to kind of rehabilitate themselves in the next couple of years. You know, the guys start to play better. Maybe they become a little bit more movable. Um, and if they don't become movable, then they get to the point where you can buy them out, just like the Sharks did with Martin Jones with three years left uh, in his contract, and you can buy them out with less pain. You know, imagine buying out Eric Carlson right now with six years left, and you're paying that, you know, paying that contract for for 12 years with the with a buyout penalty. Um, so I think the Sharks are trying to avoid uh, that, having to, you know, uh, take on too much salary, uh, retain too much salary with, with by trading these contracts, uh, trading having trade draft picks on top of these contracts because that's what you need. You need trade first to, to, to get rid of a bunch of these contracts. So I think that uh, what what uh, what the Sharks have decided to do is sort of this hedging, you know, they're kind of hedging their bets kind of, you know, and they're trying to run out the time on these uh, long contracts, you know, with the hope that these contracts can, can rehabilitate themselves in some way. Hey, Shane, thanks so much for joining us today. Enjoy the rest of the offseason and the summer. I'm sure we'll be reaching out once again with your this Evander Kane story comes to a conclusion or just to preview the Sharks when training camp starts. So thank you very much again for doing this. Yeah, you're welcome, guys. Sounds good. Have a good day. That was Shang Peng with San Jose Hockey. Now, um, Jamie, I think 
at least Canucks fans can understand the difficulty of moving on from bad contracts. They yep, aren't necessarily absolutely. as high priced as, say, an Eric Carlson contract is. But yes, it comes with a pretty high cost if you're going to get rid of that. I mean, it just doesn't make sense. It's To put it on your books for 12 years is not going to happen. If you're going to do a buyout, hardly anybody's going to take that on in a flat cap world. You're just going to have to hope that these players can somehow live up to the money that they're getting paid. Well, and it's the term, right, that yes. makes it so different. I mean, you, you saw in Vancouver, right? Yeah, they moved Louis Erickson uh, and Jay Beagle and Antoine Roussel all in one deal. Complicated deal because they get a good player in Connor Garland back, but they also had to take a long-term liability back and Oliver ekman Larson. They had to give a first overall pick. So, you know, it took a fair amount to get out, out of those deals, and that, they, they only had one year left on them. You know, Eric mm-hmm. Carlson, as Shang just said, six years left, right? That's Brent incredible. Burns, four years left. Uh, Vlasic, five years left. Those are long, long-term deals. Uh, good luck. Good luck finding a taker <laughs> for any of those, really. Yeah. Doug Wilson, they've been patient in San Jose before, Jamie, but that was patient with some success. They're going to have to be patient yep. for, I think, at least a few more years. Okay. Calgary, this is where we part with you today. We're going to turn it over to 960's CFL preview show. So until tomorrow, enjoy the rest of the day. For our 650 listeners, continue tuning in. We're actually going to talk about the CFL as well next. Uh, BC Lions co-general manager Neil McAvoy will join us as the Lions open the season. Jamie, in two days in Saskatchewan against the Riders. That is coming up next on Rint Tools Sermon with Jamie Dodd.